I'm here with Claudia Zapata-Adler. Claudia is the founder of Raices Limited, a social enterprise dedicated to discussing the root issues which hold back a diverse and inclusive workforce. Last year was incredibly special for her and her team as they held the first WING Summit and awards ceremony, recognizing the change makers of our time from the international community. She is from Colombia, grew up in the UK, and currently lives with her husband and three sons in Sweden. She's also a clever hybrid. Claudia, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you, Gabby. Thanks so much for, for having me. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, I was very glad to meet you. You have a very interesting backstory. Uh, from what I was reading in your other interviews that you've done, you grew up in a barrio in Colombia during the Escobar years, the 80s, and moved to London when you were five to join your mother who had moved there two years before. What was that like? I think from what I remember, it was difficult. I mean, our upbringing or sort of the initial years of our lives were very difficult. From my mother's perspective, it was horrific because she grew up with a lot of violence and domestic abuse. And that was what fueled her to leave Colombia. And from my perspective, I grew up with that violence and it was sort of normal for me. And when I moved to the UK, it was a massive culture shock from the weather to in Colombia, I remember I'd be playing on the streets with friends and kids and it's sunny and then moving into the UK where it's winter and you play indoors and initially you really don't have many friends and there is that difficulty with language. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of first generation immigrants can relate to that and you even had the extra challenge of being there with no support network as illegal immigrants who didn't really speak that much English in a time before the internet. So how did you overcome all of those challenges? I'll speak from my mother's perspective. It was horrific in the sense that when you are illegal, you are exploited by your employers. And they very much knew the situation that she was in. So you have no workers' benefits. You know, you have no developed skills. A lot of it is where you feel very much indebted or you feel grateful that somebody is giving you some form of a job or a wage for you to survive. So I think one of the points that I'd like to talk about is that survival mode that you're in. And we felt it and I felt it growing up because you don't have that stability like you mentioned, you don't have that network. And a lot of it is driven by fear. And if I look at my situation now where I've moved to Sweden, the kind of person and woman that I am now and the skills that I have were very different to what my mom had at that time. So you are driven by fear. That is your motivation is getting back, being able to eat, having a roof over your head and taking all sorts of abuse and exploitation because you don't really understand your rights. If you don't understand your rights, you, you won't be able to seek or find help. I remember we were illegal. We were probably there for a few years in the UK and somebody told us about some pro bono lawyers that were helping immigrant families. And I remember going there with my mum and we sat there and the lawyer that was in front of us showed no empathy, no compassion. And I remember we looked at each other and we got really frightened. And he said, I, I have to just go and make a call. We looked at each other and we were convinced that he was going to go and call immigration on us. And we ran out of that place. He may not have, <laughs> he could have been there to help us or not, but you don't know that. You fear the people that are around you. You fear those structures because you don't really understand the legal system. You don't understand your rights. Going back on that survival mode. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to act to protect yourself, but we can see you're doing well now. You and your mom were able to overcome the situation. Even your organization, the Raices Roots in English, really focuses on issues that you face personally, social development, human rights, and women's rights. Even with your previous experience in a business sense, you've worked in procurement, sales, law, and humanitarian efforts. How does your ethnic background and business experience affect your organization now? If I see it from my development, from where I came from, how I started, and where I am now, if I see the skills that I've been able to garner, a lot of it has been self-confidence. From going back to that story, if I look at where my mum was at that time, I remember that a lot of it was kind of you're feeling grateful that you had a job. Whilst now, I think it's kind of shifting a little bit where people who are coming from diverse backgrounds, immigrant backgrounds, or your people of color, black, Asian, you have so much to bring to the table. And I think that shift needs to be driven a lot more in sort of corporate structures. And if I'm looking at what we're doing with the WING program, which is to be able to really bring out and celebrate diverse talent, we know we're doing it from the root as opposed to facilitating marketing campaigns, for example, for companies to feel woke or to feel that uh, they are diverse. It is personal because I can relate to those experiences, but also moving past that sense of gratitude. People from ethnic minorities who are bilingual have tons to offer, but sometimes we are overlooked. That is true. So I noticed too on the the website, you're you're not doing this by yourself. You're working with a team, Isaac and Ellen, if I'm not mistaken. You mentioned in a post a while back too, it's through partnerships that you can impact society. So what are the benefits of having such a diverse team? I think Isaac is based in Uganda and Ellen is in Ellen is, is in Stockholm, but she's worked internationally with global women who have a global footprint. But aside from that, 21, we are looking at working with Etincel and the team there behind Mosamba, which is, again, a whole bunch of amazing people. Now, the reason for partnerships is really that we have our view of life. And when we're able to partner up with different people, they bring in their experiences, they bring in their networks, they bring in absolutely different points that you would have missed. And that's, I think, why partnerships are so relevant. There's not much that you can do alone. If we look at what's happening globally, you're seeing the importance of having that unity, people calling out for social justice, but the power of the people. is not just relegated to that. You also work with local initiatives that promote education in other countries. So why is that branch of the organization so important to you? Education is something which absolutely massively behind because I really believe in it, but not just formal education, but also informal education. So what we learn at home, our community values. When I met Isaac, which was in a conference in Oxford, a while back ago, about six, seven years ago, we immediately clicked and I'd never been to Africa and we had a friendship and he invited me and I went there with my son who was maybe 10 at the time. So we packed our bags and we stayed with Isaac and we met his family and absolutely loved it. There are a couple of things which 
we saw, which was sort of the need or some of the challenges which a lot of parents have in rural Uganda to be able to pay school fees, even though education is free, they still have to pay for, say, for example, costs of uniform, shoes, books, food. This is a massive burden on families which don't have uh, much of an income. So we began being able to kind of pair up sponsors that would be looking at not just giving donations, but actually taking these students through up until university. So it's it's a very gradual, long-term initiative that we're looking at. So the people that are on board on this, they, they have their student, which they're supporting through uh, sponsorship fees. And the whole idea of it is to be able to ensure that these students will be able to graduate. Yeah, that's a very nice initiative. It's it's often the behind the scene things to cause the issues later on. So it's nice to see those being broken down through this program. For sure. The other thing that we see a lot is period poverty as well. So that's a massive issue which affects girls. And within kind of those fees, we try and accommodate the cost for one year supply of sanitary pads for the girls that we're helping. Mm-hmm. I've noticed you use that expression a lot just for our listeners who might not be familiar with that term could you explain what period poverty is yeah sure so due to girls not being able to have money for sanitary pads they miss out on a lot of school days just because it's shameful to be bleeding in class there's stigma and it's absolutely uncomfortable so girls are disproportionately affected by period poverty something as easy as just providing sanitary pads the girls are able to rejoin class uh, not fall behind and from the long-term perspective if you're missing a couple of months a year of school that's a lot monthly if you're missing about seven days a month that's a lot you're looking at the grades and they're obviously they're falling behind and the initial response is maybe then you should get married and then you have girls entering early child marriage which is again you know another abuse to their human rights so those are issues that we also see in the UK as well it's not just an issue in Africa, but it's an issue all over the world. We see that in in the UK, we see that in South America. One of the things I do say a lot is, why do we give out free condoms and not give out free sanitary pads? Yep, that's a good point. Gender inequality is a good example. You're also working on your PhD in the Department of Health Sciences, focusing on these factors that affect education for girls. So we mentioned period poverty, also some of the expenses behind education what else have you found in your research so far yeah it's really like I've really fallen in love with my PhD to be honest with you because it's focused on empowerment of women and girls through education right but when we look at education it's not just formal education because I don't necessarily believe that our current formal education structures facilitate that sort of empowerment or that learning should we say and when I talk about empowerment it's not to give empowerment which is the rhetoric that we find at the moment. So we see, for example, the UN or we see organizations like the World Bank and their programs where it's, if you come into our program, you will be empowered, right? That's kind of the general message. Or if you buy this, or if you do this, you will be empowered. That's a misconception of the word. Empowerment is actually um, a force within you. Only you can empower yourself to change the circumstances of your life and that of your community. 
So just starting off from that, we have that definition wrong. It's a misconception and it's also, I believe it's like a, a, it's a selling uh, tool. So again, with using, say, the misfortune of women to be able to sell certain products and be able to amass sponsorship because you're combining empowerment and women. If we're looking at the PhD and what it's looking to do or what the research is looking to do is really understand the pedagogical approaches which facilitate that empowerment through education. And that that's not necessarily in the classroom. As I said, our kids, you know, and if I'm talking about my family and what I see with my son, who's, you know, in the Swedish education system, they tend to learn because they have to pass an exam, right? Those are the sort of goals that they have in front of them. And it's difficult because I don't believe enough is done to be able to encourage children to just learn because learning is fun, right? So we've got all forms of barriers. So when, when, when I look at educational pedagogical approaches, we're also looking at community pedagogy and, and we're looking at what we learn at home and, and how we pick up language and our values, which are really the building blocks to be able to equip people to withstand all sorts of circumstances. I mean, that, that really is learning, right? You've got to learn to survive, not to learn to pass an exam, or you've got to learn to flourish, right? So that's what the research is doing. So it's actually, as opposed to saying here in the West, our education system is spot on because of this, that, the other, we're actually reversing that. And we're saying maybe we're missing something because our students aren't actually learning that much. And learning is not to pass an exam, right? But let's look at how other countries are doing and other indigenous communities practice learning, how they're able to farm or how they understand land and all of these sort of different learning approaches. Yeah, that's a good point. I think even in the past industrial revolutions, we made a few missteps. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. You speak to teachers, it's not like how much did my son learn, but it's did he pass the exam? And those are, I think those are wrong conversations to have. And when kids finish secondary school, high school, university, we've got to really ask what are the skills that they've been able to pick up on that's going to take them somewhere where they can make a difference and where they can kind of expand their creativity. It's true. We need to teach people to think outside the box again. It's going to take some time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the best way to do that is to break those barriers where we think that we know everything here in western societies i think that's some of the problems that we have the way we go into things just thinking that we're superior in our society is sometimes it's a misconception yeah i agree that's really why i like the wing summit and wing stands for world initiative next generation the summit and award ceremony it really breaks down the barriers it's not just for Western civilization, as we say sometimes. You mentioned in another interview with the British Latino Network podcast, most award ceremonies are just elites giving awards to each other. So how are the WING Awards different? The way we partner up with different organizations, I think, is different. The conversations that we have with our sponsors is different. We bring in diverse talent and we celebrate those. And we also encourage the companies which are sponsoring to be able to actually provide a platform for those minority groups which are being represented and celebrated. Especially now, you know, I think we're in a really sort of exciting time in the sense that fake diversity is, I think, no longer acceptable. And we really need to begin to scrutinize 
our companies and board members and executive leader teams and say, let's have a look at them and are they representative of the people? Mm -hmm. That's true. Even among the categories, there are different ways of showing appreciation for people helping to further diversity. I think my favorite categories were the Male Champion Award, Unlocking Student Talent Through Tech, and Excellence in Women's Issues Storytelling. On the site, companies and I believe individuals worldwide can send in a nomination entry. Could you explain the process of how to do that? For sure. So there's an online form, first of all, that we have available. It's free of charge to enter. We also believe in moving the event around. So we had it in Stockholm uh, last year. We haven't been able to have it this year because of COVID-19 and everything else with regards to social distancing wouldn't be responsible. So we're hopefully having it next year. We're having it in the UK as well. And we're looking at moving it around to different countries because that way we'll be able to get like a different pool of talent. Otherwise, we could fall within having very similar people and company and initiatives entering for these awards. And and that's why I think it's important to mix the partnerships that you're working with and connect with different people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And you mentioned already that the 2020 summit has been canceled. That's very responsible move from the organization. What has been the overall impact on Raices with everything that's going on? I mean, I think it's hard times for the event in particular, but putting that aside, I also think it's it's interesting because it could be a time to just take a step back, analyze a little bit and be able to really understand the whys. Why are we doing this? What do we want to get out of this? How can we be a bit better? I'm definitely taking that time out to be able to really I guess hold myself accountable as well with regards to that if we have this platform how can we make it more relevant how can we make more of an impact for next year and I have that kind of fire in my belly at the moment where I'm seeing what's happening around us now more than ever I think it's so important to have those uncomfortable conversations with structures and companies and brands as well because it's very easy to claim that you're diverse but when you're really kind of dig down and you look at who's on top and who's making those decisions it's not reflective of uh, ethnic minorities and I believe that has to change that's very true so there's going to be a lot of innovation that's coming out of this very crazy situation I hope so and a whole bunch of different voices a whole bunch of different talent creativity that maybe just hasn't been seen or heard before. And and that's where I think it'll be quite exciting. Yeah, one of the things I hope changes, which in Latino culture is called machismo, but in many cultures worldwide, there's a very patriarchal vibe, as in men are better than women. In some cultures, parents or even family members might feel that education is a waste for girls. What would you say to women trying to overcome whatever their version of machismo is, and in some cases, this period poverty issue? I think that's a brilliant question, Gabby. And one of the things that I advocate for is independence. There's nothing better than being financially independent as a woman. If we're talking about Colombia, we're looking at the culture there. And not speaking for everyone, try not to generalize, but there is that sense that the man, to be a man, 
must pay for everything, right? Women will look to a man who has money, right? Because he will provide comfort and safety and security, right? He in turn is able to elect what the norm there is for the most beautiful, the lady with the biggest boobs or biggest butt. If we're being just raw about it, that's how it is, right? So it's a very superficial form of machismo, but it costs dearly on what is the liberty and freedom of the woman to fall into that trap. Yeah, that's very true. With the summit, I see that you're trying to change that mindset with the younger generation. You invited students 14 to 18 years old to the summit last year, which is a great opportunity to network, hear from CEOs and industry leaders from around the world in person. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was so exciting to see so many young people fill in the room. And that's something that we really want to be able to carry on because I remember when I was in my teens, I didn't really have those Latin role models, say, to look up to. And we weren't really exposed to that much. So you kind of had to make it up as you go along, right? And you make some serious mistakes in your life because you don't have that kind of guidance or you don't believe maybe that you can do that or you don't see people that look like you in those positions. And that's why I think it's so important to be able to celebrate those talent and be able to reflect that and say, there's somebody from your background that looks like you or has a similar story that's made it. And this is what he or she looks like. They were so engaged and some of the best questions came from them. It was really exciting. I was really happy because I was able to have my son there as well. So we invited his class to attend as well. And that was wonderful just to see them engage and they didn't want to go back to school. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think this summit was probably more interesting than school. You actually get to engage instead of just crossing T's and dotting the I's. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's really important, as you said, to have a mentor that looks like you. When you were a young child, though, and you didn't have that, how did that affect your ability to learn English? It is like coming into a completely new world. Leaving Colombia one day, leaving my grandfather, leaving the house and everything that I knew was normal to being in the UK, I didn't speak for six months, like nothing. I wouldn't say anything. I would just sit on a mat, very quiet, and just observe and not interact with any any children. After six months, I spoke fluently. So I must have been taking it all in. Wow, yeah, it's amazing how the the human brain works to have to deal with that. Mm -hmm, Absolutely, and that's where I, I go back and I say, those people are overlooked because I remember the teachers would go to my mom and say that they were rather worried because I wasn't interacting, I wasn't speaking, was anything wrong with me? There were a lot of things that happened in that time when I was initially in the UK, which was very difficult because of our circumstances. And I guess that didn't help, but children have great potential and people from immigrant backgrounds have great potential. But they are overlooked because we box them. Yeah, that's true. Research has shown that children that are bilingual have better social skills because they've dealt with two different cultures. Their critical thinking is much more developed than a child who only speaks one language. So there's lots of advantages. People focus more on that learning curve instead of the benefits of overcoming it. So do you feel like after those six months you could call yourself bilingual or did it take 
a bit longer than that to feel that you were a part of both cultures. I love the name of your podcast, by the way, <laughs> because, yeah, it's brilliant, actually, because when people ask me, I do say I am a hybrid because I'm not quite Colombian, but I am. And I'm not quite British, but I am as well. You've got kind of, you've got that mix and it's difficult to kind of feel 100% like you belong to one or the other and you don't have to choose. That's where I've sort of made peace with it. I don't have to choose. I am both and happy with that. I did, yeah, I did feel bilingual by then. And as I said to you, I was kind of everyone's translator. So my mom's one of 11. They grew up in a household which was poor in a barrio and amongst a lot of violence. And she was determined to bring every single one of her siblings to the UK because they were at risk of either being killed or God knows what. And she did that. But as she did that, I was the first one that, well, I was that my mum did speak English, but it was a little bit broken. But I spoke perfect English. And so I would be going to sort of all the meetings. I was their translator. That's a big responsibility for a kid. It is. And I look at it now and I remember once, um, I'll tell you another story. We were at uh, Evershot Street, which was where we lived in Camden. It was a tiny little flat and somebody had called immigration on us. And so the immigration officers uh, knocked on the door and there were about four or five of my uh, aunts and uncles who were already in the UK. My mum was out to work. I remember the immigration officers, they came down and they were looking for my mum because we were illegal. So they were looking to deport us. And one of them crouched down and said, we're here to help you. Could you tell us where your mum is and where she works and where do you go to school? And I told them everything. And I remember kind of feeling very emotional and a bit scared. Like, should I? Should I not? But they said they're going to help. And I told them everything, everything. And that meant that my mum had to leave her job. And we were on the streets for about four, four weeks where we couldn't actually sleep inside our flat. We actually, we stayed the night at a bench opposite looking at our flat to see if the immigration officers would come for us. Wow. They really exploited your innocence there in that situation. That's horrible. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're not to know, do you? So, mm. But having been a native speaker, sometimes we have these language learners like, oh, it's so hard. Or if I don't really put in that much effort, they'll just switch to my language for me. What would you tell those people? Well, it's perseverance, isn't it? And it's been able to also communicate with people on a different level. So the way I communicate in English is quite different to the way I communicate in Spanish. And that gives me a certain depth that other people may not have. I think reading is essential. I think it's just nice to be able to integrate with different groups. It just gives you a richer experience of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see things from a different perspective. Absolutely. And the way we speak is different also, like our terminology and words and expressions are different and if you are bilingual then you just have a greater grasp of that I guess. Knowing what you know now seeing that your skill of being bilingual is an asset and not a liability what would you tell to your younger self? I think a lot of it is self-confidence and self-worth because we it's difficult to to how can I explain to you? I, I believe it's difficult to be able to um, construct your self-value when you don't have a mirror or an example that you can follow. I 
value my past because it's it has made me who I am but there are things that you don't necessarily have to live to be able to have a positive say self-image for example so that kind of hardship that we went through isn't necessary for me now to to say oh you know I've learned these valuable lessons people don't have to go through that kind of pain but I I would definitely continue that journey of seeking the best version of Claudia that I can find and and that's where I am now I now continue to do that I'll continue to try and really understand Claudia in in her maximum capacity and I think we should all want to be able to do that what is the best version of me and I've put myself through education and that's molding me how I interact with literature and literature from various authors in different countries as well and and I love that because it's challenging and we we got to put ourselves through that process and see not the value that people place on us because I shouldn't be taking that value I need to put my own level and that's what I measure myself with it's not what other people measure me with the fact that I was a single mother for Daniel for about 10 years that was something positive when I'd go into interviews Back then when I had Daniel, when he was two or three years old, I knew that if I say that I was a single mother, that would go against me. But it wouldn't go against the man because it meant that he would work hard. For me, they would question whether I had the ability to be able to attend networking events or if I was going to pull out excuses because my kid was sick and then I couldn't attend work. But now, if I were in front of those people, my response would be very different. I'd be much bolder. Yeah, that's true. Sadly, that is the case for a lot of people. It actually brings to mind a Benjamin Franklin quote, which he said, some people die at 70, others die at 25, but aren't buried until they're 70. Yeah, exactly. You have to grow as a person. And yeah, you need to really kind of self-evaluate and be happy with who you are and want to just be better in in regards to what is the impact that you're making as a person what is your contribution Mm -hmm, exactly thank you so much claudia i want to go ahead and hand it off to you Uh, what are your social handles where people can get in touch with you for sure so i'm on linkedin you can just I think search Claudia Zapata Adler and I'm also on Instagram which is at Clau underscore Adler uh, Raices is at Raices Org Limited do get in touch and if you have questions would love to give any points or tips or people relate to certain experiences and more than happy to take discussions further so so thank you so much Gabby it's been absolutely wonderful to to speak with you today My pleasure. It was a very nice conversation. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite listening app to hear other episodes. For more info about our courses, editing services, or our scholarship program, look at our website, cleverhybrids.com. You can also find the transcripts and show notes for our episodes there. This is Gabby V. Until next time, learn by doing and asking. Thank <music> you.